0: So reading comes from Psalm 119, and we're starting at verse 1. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed oh that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees then i would be, not be put to shame when i consider all your commands i will praise you with an upright heart as i learn your righteous laws i will obey your decrees do not utterly forsake me <coughs> Well, Psalm 119, it really begins with a big billboard, and written on this billboard are the words, come this way for blessing. Uh, that's, what, that's what Bible teacher Christopher Ashe says about uh, this psalm. He says, it begins with a big billboard saying, come this way for blessing. But you know, I see billboards like this all around me in the world. Sometimes they're literally on the side of the road... And they're advertising something to me that apparently I desperately need. Other times, the billboards that cry out, come this way for blessing, um, they come in the form of of a TV show or a movie, uh, something that we're taught at school or uni. Uh, Sometimes it's the lifestyle of our friends or our neighbors or our workmates. And, And we start to find ourselves wondering if maybe we would be happier if we had that, if we did that. We start to wonder whether maybe it's time to punch a different destination into the Google Maps of our life and, and take a different turn. What is the way of blessing? Where is happiness found? For better or worse, we all have to choose a path. You're on a path. Will, will you choose the steady job and the, the family? Will you choose to make a difference, champion an important social issue or cause maybe? Will you just go with the flow, have a good time, focus on loving the people around you? Will you seek to make a name for yourself, use your career, your book, your band, your brand to impact others? Will you pursue a path of spiritual enlightenment, seeking connection with a higher being? What is the way forward? More and more, we are being told that there isn't just one path. In fact, the right path is the path that works for you. And you have to find your own way. Which sounds quite nice at first, doesn't it? Sounds quite liberating. But what if you don't know which way to go? Or what if you do think you know the way to go and you head down that path and then you realize, Oh dear, that didn't work out. It's too late now when I realize I took the wrong turn. What if you look back one day and realize that the path is lovely, but you're walking alone and there's no one to share the view with? I'm not sure where you're at this morning. But maybe you're looking at 2023 with confidence. Maybe you're happy with who you are and where you're going. You're confident about how things will work out. Or maybe not. Maybe you're actually unsure about the future about the direction of your life, about a particular decision that you're facing. Maybe you're questioning what's true, what's ethical, what's right. Maybe you're wrestling with your values and your priorities and your goals. But, but wherever you're at, I think it's a safe bet that like me, you, you want to have a happy life, you want to have a blessed life. And and this morning, we're going to turn to Psalm 119 for help with this. Why? Why turn to Psalm 119? Well, it's actually quite a remarkable part of the Bible. For starters, it's really, 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 really long. We didn't read all 176 verses just then. It's the longest chapter in the whole Bible. It has 22 sections, and each section has a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. On top of it. If you open your Bible, you can see this. The first letter is Aleph, then there's Bait, then there's Gimel, and so on through the whole alphabet. And it's an acrostic poem. Do you remember what that is? So each section has eight verses, and the first letter of each verse starts with the Hebrew letter of that section. So in section one, every verse starts with Aleph, and then in section two, every verse starts with a Bait, and so on. Now, why do I mention that? I mean, is that just fun trivia for Bible nerds? I think it's more important than that. Because we don't know who wrote the psalm, but the way it is written tells us something about who he was and what he was passionate about. Uh, C.S. Lewis makes a helpful comment about this. He says, this poem is not and does not pretend to be a sudden outpouring of the heart. It is a pattern a thing done like embroidery stitch by stitch through long quiet hours for love of the subject and for the delight in leisurely disciplined craftsmanship. So, what is it that has made this psalmist so passionate, so excited? Well, he's excited because in a world where everyone is searching for the blessed life, he has found the path. And this path, it's not invisible, it's not hard to find, it's clear. And it's not going to let you down. He knows it's the right path. And it's not a path that you have to walk alone. It's a path where we find help and support in all our struggles. So to learn more about this, let's look this morning at the first eight verses of Psalm 119. We've got two points this morning. The first is this. Living according to God's word is the best way to live. That's what we see in verses 1 to 4. That living according to God's word is the best way to live. Okay, so Psalm 119 begins in verse 1 with these words. Read them with me if you've got it open. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless... "...who walk according to the law of the Lord." Notice that first word, blessed. Sometimes that's translated uh, happy, or joyful, or fortunate. Right away, we're learning something here about God. More than anything else, God wants us, God wants you to be blessed. Psalm 119 is not going to let us decide that God is, is stingy, that Christianity is boring... But what is this way of blessing that the psalmist has discovered? Well, he says in verse 1, it's about walking according to the law of the Lord. Now, apart from maybe a few lawyers among us who get a kick out of studying legislation, most of us hear this and think, oh dear, the law. (laughs) Really? That sounds like a whole lot of fun. Sounds like we're going to have to follow a whole lot of rules... To try and please this grumpy ogre in the sky and persuade him to bless us. But no, actually that's the opposite of what this way is. The way described in Psalm 119 is unlike all other religions which do tell us you have to do good and this, this, this to be saved. This way is the opposite because it starts with God who comes to sinners and digs them out of the hole that they are in and makes them his people. And then he says, now walk with me. That's very different. And the clue to seeing this in the text is that word for law. Law makes us think of negative restrictions. Don't speed, don't jaywalk. But the psalmist has something bigger in mind. He's actually talking about the whole of God's Word, the whole Bible. See, here's another thing we need to know about Psalm 119. There are eight words that keep appearing, again and again and again. Eight different words that are really all synonyms for one main idea, God's Word. So you can see most of these eight words in our section, verses 1 to 8. In verse 1, you see the word law, sometimes translated instruction. Then in verse 2, statutes or or testimonies. Verse 4, precepts. Verse 5, decrees or statutes. Verse 6, commands. Verse 7, laws or judgments. Verse 9, word. Verse 11, word or promise. All of those are different Hebrew words, all getting at the same thing. He's talking about God's word. The psalmist, that means... He's not just just saying, "Yay, I love rules. No, he's saying, I love everything God has said in the Bible because it shows me the way. And this way is not just a moral code to be obeyed. It is much more than that. It is first and foremost a way in which we can walk with God. We can live with God. We can return to our Creator we can have Him at the centre of everything we are and everything we do. We should never think that in the New Testament, we're saved by grace, but in the Old Testament, back then, you were saved by obeying the law. No, there has only ever been one way to God. Always, only through God's grace, received with repentance and faith. You know, the psalmist, he didn't have as much of the Bible as we do. Probably only had part of the Old Testament but he knew the gospel. He was a believer. The difference is that back then, God's people believed that Christ would come to save. And this morning, we believe that Christ has come to save. Jesus Christ, He he is the key to understanding the Scriptures. The Scriptures tell us about the blessed life The life of a person who loves God and learns to live like God. Loving, just, kind, wise and faithful. But it's not until Jesus appears that we really get to see what this looks like in practice. You know how sometimes a book gets made into a movie and the movie's not usually as good as the book? Well, in Jesus, the book gets made into reality. And it's incredible. Jesus is actually called the word. He is the word made flesh, the word embodied. And he walks the way in a way that no other human has ever been able to do. He perfectly loves God. He perfectly loves others. He perfectly cares for the planet. And do you know what? The the response that people have to Jesus proves this. What do I mean? Well, think about this, whether people are Christians or atheists, whether they love the Bible or hate the Bible, whether they were raised in the church or they haven't been to Sunday school once in their lives, whether they live in 2023 or live a thousand years ago, everyone who reads the historical eyewitness accounts about Jesus comes to the same conclusion. This guy was something special. He was amazing. His teaching, his wisdom, his compassion, his kindness, his love, his gentleness. Think about that. It's pretty amazing. People can debate whether he was really God and whether he really came to save the world and whether he really rose from the dead. But no one is debating whether Jesus was a real man who lived a remarkable life. And, you know, Australian society it increasingly wants to move away from Christianity. We're seeing that, right? But what's interesting is that although they, want, although they don't want the Christian roots, they still want the moral fruits, right? There are certain moral values that we have ingrained in our Western society, things like love, things like equality, things like justice. And all of those values came from God. They came from the Bible, And deep inside, we know that they are right. We think that's blatantly obvious, we don't even have to prove it, that you have rights as a human being. But only the Bible can explain why. Evolutionists can tell us why love is sometimes useful, they can never tell us why love is right. Our society is saying to us, we like the fruits, you can keep the roots, you can keep that God-worshipping bit. But the psalmist is saying, oh, I love the whole tree, I love it, I love the fruit, I also love the roots. Because you know, if you cut down the tree, it won't be long before the fruit stops growing and starts rotting. I want to speak to teenagers, to young people for a moment. I know that there are a lot of ways being laid out to you, telling you that the right path for you is whatever path you choose. But I want to say to you that, while none of those paths might be particularly terrible, unless you're planning on going and being the next Hitler or something. None of them will satisfy and lead to true blessing and happiness unless they have God at the center. Because all blessing comes from God. We have to start with Him. We have to build our lives on that foundation before anything else can fall into place. And that's why it's not going to be enough for you to just be a good person to just take the bits of wisdom and teaching and law from the Bible that you like and say, yeah, I like that bit, I like that bit. No, we need more than that. We actually need to start by being confronted by the glory and the holiness and the wonder of God himself and make him first in our lives. That is the key to walking this way. Everything else will fall into place around that. Your life starts and ends with God. The car won't go without the engine. If he's not at the centre, nothing will work properly. So let me ask you, whatever path it is that you're on, whatever path you're considering going down, is God at the centre? If he is, let me tell you, you are so incredibly blessed. So blessed. The world around you may not tell you that. It might even try and tell you the opposite, that you're trapped, that you're bigoted, that you're deluded, that you are missing out. But you're not. You have the secret to life. The psalmist is delighting because in the desert, he has found living water. In his prison cell, he has found the key that unlocks the door. You know, I have studied philosophy at uni and Christians warned me, don't do it. Because it will lead you astray. I have seen the despair in the philosophy department at uni, the searching, the uncertainty of the world's greatest minds trying to discover a way, the way, and doing it without reference to God. It's tragic. The Bible helps to make sense of everything. I'm amazed by this. More and more, the older I get, I'm amazed how knowing God, how his word reorients every single part of life. There's nothing it doesn't touch and change. When you have God at the center, it shapes how you think about identity, about priorities, about ethics and morals, about politics, about the environment, about marriage, about family, about singleness, about work about suffering, about death. What a blessing to walk according to the law of the Lord. Oh, Young people, we are so blessed to be here this morning, to be in this church, to have this at the start of your life. It's our first point. Living according to God's word is the best way to live. but maybe something about this psalm still bugs you. I mean, if you look in verses 1 to 4, the language is pretty strong, isn't it? Verse 1, he talks about being blameless. Verse 2, he talks about seeking God with your whole heart. Verse 3, it says, do no wrong. And verse 4 says, full obedience. Now, we don't know who wrote this psalm, but we can't help but feel like he's a bit out of reach, right? Like maybe he's one of those special Christians, those really holy ones. We can't help but feel like he wouldn't understand what it's like for us. On those mornings when we try to do our devotions, but it just feels dry. On those days when it feels like the world has everything we could ever want, and God seems distant. On those days when we are painfully aware of constant, stubborn sinfulness. Well, that brings us to our second point. As we move from the first four verses to the next four verses, there is a shift. There's a shift and we discover that although living according to God's Word is the best way to live, it is also a hard way to live. Living according to God's Word is a hard way to live. See there in verse 5, The psalmist begins to pray. Actually, this prayer will last from here to the end of the psalm. And he cries out to God. Have a look there in verse 5. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. In other words, he isn't there yet. He says, I know that God expects full obedience from me. That's verse 4. But I know I don't always live up to these standards, verse 5. I know what shame is, verse 6. I know what it is like to open my Bible and all I seem to see is it pointing out all my failures and sins. I'm still in school, he says in verse 7. I'm still learning to be righteous. And this leads him to this desperate prayer in verse 8. I will obey your decrees to not utterly... Forsake me. And really, that's so important to understanding the psalm, to understanding the Bible, because it is not just a guidebook that shows you how to live. It is actually a book that gives you life. Why? Because behind the book is God himself. The God who has committed to saving us and helping us. God would have been gracious enough to have sat up in heaven and dropped the book down to earth. Dropped his laws down and said, he just called out real quick, Hey guys, here's the guidebook to life. It tells you the truth about who I am and it tells you how you should live. That would have been more than we deserved but all it would have done is shown us what an impossible mess we are in. Praise God that He is far more gracious than that. He goes far further than that. Think about this. What God commands of us, He enables in us. He doesn't just tell us what to do, He actually enables us To do it. The psalmist cries out, God, don't forsake me. But what hope does he have that God will answer that prayer? If it was up to him and his New Year's resolutions, he would have no hope at all. And neither would we. But in Christ, we have an absolute guarantee that God will never forsake us. Why? Because Jesus was forsaken on the cross in our place, wasn't he? He bore all the punishment for our sins on himself. God planned the death of his own son, the only one who walked the way perfectly so that we could be adopted as children into God's family. That is how we know we will never be forsaken. That is how God can say to flaky sinners like you and me, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Hebrews 13 verse 5. And that is why after Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent us the Holy Spirit, a helper, to be with us always. So that far from forsaking us, God lives in us and helps us every day more and more to go to war against sin and put it to death and pursue holiness. And so the psalmist is living in this tension. Right? There's a tension throughout the psalm. On the one hand, there's this high calling to live a perfect life with God. And on the other hand, there's the realization of His failures. But God himself, through his word, perfectly holds those things together. Because what God commands of us, he enables in us. He empowers us to do what he commands us to do. So, dear Christians, can we walk this way of blamelessness? This way of life? Yes and no, we can and we can't. On our own, we're lost, but God has promised never to forsake us. And so we sing the words of that wonderful song, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Isn't that freeing and motivating? I made a decision this morning not to get up the front and tell you to love the Bible and go and read it because that's not motivating but to know that God will never forsake those who trust in Jesus do you see how that motivates us not with fear and guilt but with affection and love because we're not walking in God's ways to earn his love but to enjoy his love that's what drives us back to the Bible every day not guilt not shame not the man-made invention of doing a devotion every day for how long? 20 minutes. No, hunger for more of God and more of His grace and more of His help and more of His wisdom. Friends, we are wealthy beyond measure. Don't despise what you have in your hands. Verse 72 says, The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. The Bible contains what the world is longing for. And yet sadly, some pick up the book and they find it boring because they think it's only old fairy tales, not words of life for today. And some pick up the book and they think God is only angry and vengeful, but they miss his staggering love and grace. And some pick up the book and they see only laws a daunting list of things to do to persuade God to love us. But they miss what comes before the law and what empowers obedience to the law, which is always only God's grace. But to the humble person who picks up the book and says, oh, I need guidance, I need life, I need help, you will be richly rewarded. So if you're not a Christian, say, if you're not living God's way, I do want to challenge you to think about this. Maybe you're pretty confident with the way you're going and maybe so far it is working out and it's making sense and you're loving life. I still want to ask you, how do you know where it ends? How do you know it really is the blessed way? What if it is a beautiful path that eventually leads off a cliff? And for those of you who are already starting to wrestle with the way you're going, maybe you're becoming uncomfortable with the direction society is going, maybe you're looking for truth. Well, then you've come to the right place. You really have. I hope that as you read the Bible, seriously, just read it. Do that this week, just explore it, just see what it says, you will realize that you are not just holding one more self, self help book. Now, these are the words of life. This is the way. Aren't we so blessed to have this book in our hands? How amazing that God chose to reveal himself to us in words, in language we can understand, preserved throughout time for us, made so readily available to us. He hasn't left us alone. He could have. He hasn't left us in the dark. He sent his word and then he sent the word, Jesus who shows us the way and opens the way. I hope that you can join the psalmist this morning and say, well, the way of life laid out in the Bible really is the blessed way, the best way, and I want it. I need it. And I admit I have been silly to look for anywhere else, and I admit that I have strayed, but I'm not despairing. I'm not giving up because God has promised in Christ that He will never forsake me, and so I'm coming running back to Him again. And I'm so thankful that through the Bible, God helps me to walk with him now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, the way of life laid out in the Bible really is the best way. And we want it. And we need it. And we admit that we've been silly to look for it anywhere else. And we admit that we've strayed. But we won't despair because you, Lord, have promised never to forsake those who trust in Christ. So this morning we come running back to you again. We thank you that through the Bible, you help us to walk with you now and forevermore. Amen.